Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we share resources by and for adoptive and foster moms. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it and we're here for you. Hello, Melissa. How are you today? I'm good, Lisa. I am so excited this week. We have something really, really exciting to share with you guys, all of our listeners. If you follow us on social media or get our weekly newsletter, you may have already heard about it. But Lisa, do you want to tell them a little bit about what we've been up to? Yes, it's such a great project. We were dying to tell you about it earlier, but we had to wait a little bit. We created a devotional for foster and adoptive parents. It's called Faith, Hope, and Connection, a 30-day devotional for foster and adoptive parents. And we did it in conjunction with the Refresh Conference, which is why we had to unveil it there first before we could share it with all of you. You know, we all are weary sometimes, and we need to be filled up for this fostering and adoption journey. We've both experienced this. We've had seasons of discouragement when we just needed more hope. And both of us found our hope in our faith in Jesus and in the community of other foster and adoptive parents. Yeah, so we asked... Actually, we asked more than this, but 28 other authors besides you and me, Lisa, contributed and lent their voices to this devotional. So it's not just us. We have men and women. We have families who have fostered, who have adopted, who have domestic, international. I mean, just the whole gamut. And you're going to love their words. They're so rich. You're going to find real and raw stories from all of them. But at the end of the day, Every last one ends on a note of hope and it kind of points us back to Jesus. It does. It does. And, you know, we wanted to encourage all of you to join us as we read this. We're going to read it together as a group over the month of April. Fortunately, April has 30 days and we have 30 contributors. So it works out quite beautifully, and it gives you a little bit of time to get the book yourself. So we're going to have these discussions in our private Facebook group, the Adoption Connection Group, and these are the three steps you need to take to join us on this really wonderful journey of hope. First, you need to order the book on Amazon, and we will provide links to that in our show notes. I strongly encourage you to order it soon, like as soon as you're done listening, because if you are like like me and Melissa, you will forget the moment you are done with whatever you're doing. Um, So we have links to it for you. And then secondly, you need to join our private Facebook group. And Melissa, why don't you tell them how to do that? We'll also put a link in the show notes, but go to Facebook, search for the Adoption Connection, and it's the group, not the page. Um, It'll have a join, request a join button instead of like a like button. That's how you'll know you're in the group. There's three questions to answer there. Go ahead and fill those out. And then we'll just be posting every day in April a thread where you guys can share your thoughts, the ways that God spoke to you through that devotional. Again, we know that not everyone who listens is from a faith background and may uh, shares the same beliefs. We understand that, but we know that a lot of you guys do. And so we just wanted to offer this as a way to share community and walk with each other, hold each other up. We hear from you guys that one of the biggest challenges of this journey is that it can feel so isolating. So we're hoping that through the different contributors in the book, And then also by reading it in community that we can help fill that gap for you a little bit. Yes. And if you are not a Facebook person or you're just overwhelmed already with things to do, we welcome you just to read it. 
day by day and be encouraged throughout the month. You know, if your spouse wants to read it with you, if you have friends that want to read it, that would be great because it does serve a, a unique purpose if you to share it with other people and talk about it together. You know, we all grow discouraged at times as we focus on our daily struggles, but together we're going to learn to look beyond our circumstances and find consistent joy as we support one another. Yep. I love all of that. That sounds really good to me, Lisa. I'm ready to get to the end of April and just feel that peace. So um, again, all the links, how to purchase the book, how to join the Facebook group will all be in the show notes. You can find those at theadoptionconnection.com slash 31. So today we're going to talk a little bit about seasons in parenting and how for a lot of us, those seasons are dictated by our stress levels <laughs> and talk a little bit about how that impacts our brain. And then finally, we would never come to you with a problem and not an answer. So we do have some solutions, simple solutions that aren't always easy, but we're all in this together. Yes. We talk to a lot of parents who are parenting at a high level of stress and finding it hard to cope. And what we find is that when we're parenting under great stress, it changes the way we are functioning in our world and our homes and relating to the people we love, like our kids. Yeah. So Lisa, would you say that you are a different mom now than you were in your first season of parenting? Yes. Very, very different. And I, I do think that, um, you know, I had this early season of parenting, then we added a lot of children to our family, added a lot of stress due to special needs. That really changed me. Um, and now as the numbers of children at home are getting smaller and smaller, I feel like I'm moving into, again, almost another phase of parenting in terms of my, the way I relate to life and the world and my kids. Yeah, I think that's important to remember. We've both been in this adoption parenting thing for a, a long time. You've been in parenting for a long, long time. And I think it's important to remember there wasn't anyone to tell me when it was really, really hard that it wouldn't be hard forever. And I don't even know if I would have believed you because it felt terrible and it felt like like we were done for. <laughs> but you and I have both come through really, really tough seasons and not to diminish those tough seasons, but there was an end. And not to say that there aren't difficulties in the seasons that we're in now, but there have been ebbs and flows. And so looking back over more than a dozen years and for you, you know, decades of parenting, you know, could you say that there definitely are beginnings and ends to seasons? Absolutely. And I, I also agree. I don't think I would have believed if someone had told me when we were in our most difficult period, this won't last forever. I, I couldn't have seen that because one of the things we're going to talk about is that when we're parenting in great stress, our capacity to have flexibility in thought, our capacity to feel hopeful is greatly diminished. And so I don't think I would have believed that there would come a time like right now where I only have three children at home. And it is very, very different. Even though some of my kids at home have significant needs, it's a, it's a different level of stress. So what were some of the things that you used to be used to find joy and used to be able to do with less stress in your life? I was thinking about that. You know, in my earlier years of parenting, I was homeschooling, which I found to be very challenging. You know, I homeschooled in different capacities for 23 years. And 
I never felt like it was just easy breezy. I thought it was a lot of work, but I did love it in some ways. I think I had a greater capacity to deal with the low level of chaos of lots and lots of kids around all the time. I also was much more eager to interact with people outside of my family. And I can remember, I would just like pack up all my kids and we'd take some schoolwork and we'd go to a friend's house for the whole morning and have lunch with them and, um, and then come home for quiet hour and nap time. You know, my, the rhythms to my days were uh, very, very different. But I think probably one of the biggest differences was just being able to focus more outward beyond the needs that were right in front of me. And I was more creative, I think, back then. I was able to see beyond the essentials. You know, like when we were in extreme stress, we were boiled down to the very, very essentials, where in that earlier season, I could think about, oh, let's make handmade Christmas ornaments for the grandparents for Christmas. Or I remember one year sewing cloth Christmas napkins for everybody. Like now, no, 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 no. I I do not have the capacity for things like that anymore at all. We were laughing a little bit earlier about the fact that we both used to scrapbook. I look at those now and I think, what on earth? How did I possibly even think about those things back then? I mean, I had a lot of children. I was very busy, but I just had more um, space in my brain to think about other things. How about you? Do you ever look back and wish you appreciated, even though it felt busy at the time? I don't think I appreciated how much brain space I had until I didn't have it anymore. Because I used to do things. I quilted crib quilts for my first three nieces or nephews. And yeah, scrapbooking. And I started a homeschool community a couple, actually not that many years ago. We've been homeschooling not for 23 years, but I don't know, seven or eight. And we've always done it in a community. We've always been a part of a homeschooling community. And it's always felt very life-giving. I always felt like our kids needed it and that it was a big part of, you know, not turning into hermits. And we're not going to be in one next year. And I don't want to be. And (laughs) I don't love people as much as I used to. And I mean, I do love people. But I think just the, it's just like one more thing and our needs have changed. Our kids seasons of their education have changed and it just doesn't fit our family anymore. And so I don't think I ever would have imagined coming to this place. I always thought we would homeschool in community in some way, shape or form. And so anyway, I just, it's definitely interesting to reflect back and see the seasons changing, how they change and even that they're changing right before my eyes. Right, right. So let's talk about some of the ways that um, stress affects our brains as parents. I mean, there's so many different things, but one of the things that comes immediately to mind is that when we are parenting in very stressful conditions, we lose our capacity, some of our capacity for, you know, um, more complex thought. We lose our capacity to really deal with the subtleties of things and to Uh, process through complex situations because we're functioning at a lower level in our brains. We're dealing with what's right in front of us at the moment all the time. Decision-making becomes very complicated and difficult, I think, because again, it's easier to think of things in black and white, yes and no, black and white, in a a more rigid way. What what do you think, Melissa? Well, I think it's so interesting because in some ways, the way that our children's brains sometimes shut down in stress, even when we don't 
think they're in a stressful situation, we see the same things out of them, right? Black and white thinking, they don't get nuances. They can't make choices, you know? How many of us have tried to give, you know, you can have this or that and they choose choice C. I mean, I've heard Mm -hmm. so many people say that. So in some ways, I think it gives me a little bit of compassion for our kids because I realize, shoot, the same thing happens to me too. I mean, just a really silly example. I just pared my wardrobe down to like three of my favorite pairs of pants and like four of my favorite shirts. And I put everything else away because I was, I like literally can't get up every morning anymore and decide what to wear. Like I just want it decided for me because one more choice was stressing my brain out. I absolutely agree. I think that it, it, uh, our brains get fatigued. And with that fatigue, I think it's easy to begin losing empathy and compassion for our kids. We get into these negative loops where, you know, just like one of my children was, had been extremely deprived of food. And so when she felt hungry in her brain, it was like, I'm going to die I am starving and everything got really, really big. And I think the same thing happens to us when the stress level gets too high and there's maybe a particular thing that's challenging for us, like a child being defiant or a certain kind. I mean, I had one child who had a very unique wailing kind of cry that would just alert my brain like, danger, 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 everything's bad, things are going down the tubes, our future is bleak, you know, and I would just sink down into that amygdala, you know, it just take over. And, and again, that would put me into that same state of hyper awareness that my child would be in. Yeah. And it makes us grumpy parents. I think Mm -hmm. those are the states of our brain when we start to get really controlling ourselves, just like our kids feel safer when they're in control. We try to grasp at those same control straws. And so we start, um, it's when my parenting, like my connected parenting and my mindful parenting tools kind of go down the tubes and I start breaking out. If you don't do this, then I'm going to do this kind of situations. And I'm convinced, my brain is convinced that there's no way out. There's no tool. There's no I just stop believing. I believe I lose hope. Mm-hmm. I stop believing in my kids. I stop believing in myself. I stop believing in all the brain science. You know, it's definitely not our thinking brains doing their best work, doing its best work. It's our limbic system going into full fight, flight, or freeze. Absolutely. And I think uh, when I'm in that kind of stress, rather than reaching for connection with my children or even my husband. I want to distance and I want to isolate because I can't function with all of the needs and all of the sounds and all of the everything. It just becomes too much. And so I find myself not doing, like you're saying, the connecting that we need to do to really help our children build positive relationships and for their brains to heal. You know, we've been talking about what does it require? How do we help our stressed out brains calm down? And how do we regulate our own brains so that we can then have the capacity to parent in the way that our children need? Yeah, so we're just working from Dan Siegel's Healthy Mind Platter. And a lot of you may know Dr. Dan as the author of The Whole Brain Child um, and the popular sequel, 
No Drama Discipline. Uh, he has a plethora of other fantastic books as well. Um, he also is the first person I think of when I think about that hand brain model. We sometimes mm-hmm. use, talk about our brains flipping their lids. Dan Siegel and a colleague of his, David Rock, kind of thought, you know, there's a general recommendation for how to feed our bodies well, that we need, you know, different types of food groups to feed our body nutritionally. But, you know, his focus, of course, is a healthy mind. And so what are the different things that we need to be incorporating in our lives to keep a healthy mind? And this is important because this is the way we counteract a lot of the stress that's then affecting our parenting and our relationships with our kids and our spouse. We've lost not just our creativity for things like scrapbooking, but we've lost our creativity in terms of problem solving. You know, this stressed out brain doesn't problem solve very well, problem solve very well. And we all know that we're, you know, handed many, many challenges and problems to solve throughout the day when it comes to our children. And we need to be in our best minds so that we can help them navigate through that and that we can help our family navigate through all of those things. Right. And so on Dan Siegel's model, he has seven different essentials for a healthy mind. So we're going to talk through each of those and um, share some different thoughts about them. So the first one's kind of a simple, obvious thing for a healthy brain, and that's physical exercise. And some of us are like, oh my gosh, I don't have time for physical exercise. We, we totally understand that. But it's a component for a healthy brain. And it doesn't have to be going out and running five miles. It can be any kind of movement and physical exercise that I think at this point in your life, it needs to be something that brings you joy. But, you know, for a lot of people, it's as simple as getting out for a walk, something that is going to feed them in a number of different ways. But physical exercise is the first one. Do you, what do you do for physical exercise, Melissa? It's been lots of things over the years. Once upon a time, we all did Taekwondo together. Um, so four of us have black belts now. Then dance is the thing that brings me joy and is physical. So I've, I grew up as a dancer. So now like any kind of like aerobic-y type class that has a dance component to it in a group is good. Uh, I do love yo- yoga, even like more aerobic yoga. So yoga that's a little bit quicker. And then walking is has never been my favorite, but I'm kind of trying to reconnect with it. Swimming. I love swimming. We're not members at a pool or a, like a Y right now, but when I feel like I have a little bit more time, you know, so I can drive there and get dressed and get in the pool and get out and shower and all that stuff, then that's a really good one. I know that I can do long into my, you know, later years because it's not as hard on my body. Um, but even recognizing that sometimes we get this in with our kids, um, even when we're trying to help them regulate, you know, in a recent episode, Robin Goebel talked about matching our kids' energy levels. So sometimes that might require us to get our heart rate up a little bit, and then we can um, also check off physical time on our mind platter. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. You know, for me, one of the things that's been really helpful in terms of physical activity is yeah, listening to audiobooks and podcasts while I walk is really helpful. You know, Melissa, with a grandbaby now, you'll probably be taking more walks because, you know, ba- babies love walks. So that's nice. I also now do go to the gym and I go with a friend and I was absolutely sure that I would hate spin. 
If you don't know what spin is, it's like indoor cycling in the dark with music. And, yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of crazy. And I was sure I would hate it. But I tried it and I found out, hey, I like it. So that's one thing I do now. And I also do another class. But And I like those, but I, I love getting out and walking. I used to run. I don't really do that anymore. But for years and years, I ran. Anyhow, I think the point is that physical exercise is important for a healthy brain. Yeah. And be kind to yourself because one of the things before I was so stressed out, I could push my body harder. So I did triathlons once upon a time and I didn't love them. It was hard, but it was a lot of mental work for something that was physical. And these days I find that I only get in physical time when it's quote unquote easy, like a walk or something that I really enjoy. Like I don't put physical exercise in my schedule that I know is going to tax my brain anymore. So again, be kind to yourself. If you were a marathon runner before, it doesn't mean you have to get back to that. It just means that you need to move in some way, shape or form. The second one we're going to talk about is focus time. So he says, when we closely focus on tasks in a goal-oriented way, we take on challenges that make deep connections in the brain. So I love focus time. I think it's very hard for moms to get at times, especially when we have lots of little ones are very, very demanding. But we were talking about the fact that when we focus on a task and we can complete that task, our brains love it. It, it closes loops. It, um, when we start something that we can't finish, our brains want completion. And so I was, the thing that comes to mind is like when something's lost and I can't find it. I cannot think about anything else until I find it. I need to close that loop. Or if Russ and I are in the midst of an important discussion, if, especially with something kind of intense, I want to finish it. I want to close that loop all the way around. But we get interrupted a lot. And so focus time is when we actually focus on a task in a way that we can complete it. Yeah. And the hack for this, for those of us who are have very little margin and feel like we never get to the bottom of our to-do list is create very small bite-sized tasks. So it might not be do the laundry. It might be put clothes in the washing machine. Mm -hmm. um, and then also limit how many you decide will be success for that day. So maybe it's just one. Maybe I would say no more than three, honestly, so that we literally, so maybe it's put the laundry into the washing machine, put the laundry into the dryer, get it out. I don't know. But instead of just do laundry. And so that way, every little step that we take, if we've written it down as a to-do list, then we can check it off. And just the act of checking that off is this focus time. It doesn't have to be hours where you're tackling your whole to-do list, but we can actually brain hack this one to create smaller bite-sized things, fewer of them during the day so that we can check them off and feel complete at the end. And you'll still get the benefit of this kind of unicorn focus time that we're talking of. <laughs> I mean, I still put make dinner on my to-do list every day because whatever I end up making, I am going to make something so I get to check it off. So I definitely need that closure in my mind. And um, it does help me feel better about myself and for managing stress and things when I have that focus time. So the next one is connecting time. Of course, we're the Adoption Connection. We talk a lot about connected and mindful parenting, but connecting time with your children may not be the thing that's going to fill up your healthy mind platter. So we need to make time for other people, the people that we love hanging out with. And it may feel like maybe you've lost 
some touch with some of those friends. Maybe you're not sure who you love spending time with anymore. Um, but I bet you if you think really hard, there's one or two people on this planet that you really enjoy connecting with, ideally in person. But I am, I think I've said this here before, I am really, really loving Marco Polo. I've reconnected with some friends that bring laughter to me from past parenting seasons that we've been able to reconnect. We have to make time for this. And I know a lot of us think that there isn't time or, you know, we ha- it's too complicated because we have to find childcare or whatever, but it's super, super important. So if there's any way to connect with another person in person who you just genuinely enjoy hanging out with, then make that a priority. Right. And you might have to be creative about when that's going to happen. It may have to happen really early in the morning or it may have to happen kind of late. But um, I do think it's important. In fact, I just made plans to meet two friends tomorrow and I'm really not good at that. I, I think the years of stress and I think grief and all those things have made me just want to close in, but I'm trying really hard to connect with people outside of my immediate family right here. Yeah. I have, I have a friend. She's a night owl. She always has been. She's one of my best friends. She's also a Korean adoptee and we meet for Korean food at like 10 or 11 o'clock at night, like once a quarter. That's so great. Good for you. Um, I'm asleep by then, but um, I can do early mornings. So, you know, we have a tradition, actually, this is kind of strange, but we have a friend whose birthday is Christmas Eve. And we have a tradition of meeting at 7am on Christmas Eve morning for coffee. And I know that's only once a year. But I really enjoy things like that when when I can make it happen. So I do think connection is really important. Yeah. I Well, I am normally in bed at that time too. And she's like the only person in the world I would ever do this for. But <laughs> it's when she's available and she won't do morning. So. <laughs> so speaking of being in bed, another of our seven essentials is sleep, sleep time. You know, we have to let our brains rest. And when we're sleeping, we consolidate learning and our brains organize and we recover from whatever experiences there were from the day. I think sleep can be hard. I th- have we done a whole episode on sleep, Melissa? I can't remember right no, now. we haven't, but maybe we oh, should. I think we should. Sleep is hard to come by when you have a lot of children, when you have children with special needs, when there feels like there's too much to do in the day, so we stay up too late. But sleep is important for our brains. We cannot parent at our best if we aren't getting enough sleep. Well, and there's so many other things, right? Like an hour of awake time, if we've had really good sleep, is way more productive than an hour of time if we've stayed up the night before trying to get more things done on our to-do list. And sleep also helps our immune system and it helps with weight loss. And so, you know, think about all the times that we've been down and out for the count because we're sick, you know? If you know, maybe if we had just had a couple extra hours of sleep, we could have gained a whole day back. So sometimes um, it seems counterintuitive to sleep more when we have limited time. But again, we want to do whatever we can to get really good sleep and get really quality sleep when we do have a chance to sleep because there is such a thing as poor quality sleep. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes you have to be creative about how are you going to get that sleep? You know, we had years where we had three sleeping bags on the floor in our room and kids that needed to sleep and be near us. The rule was do not wake mom and dad. (laughs) You can come in and sleep. Now, of course, we had little ones who did wake us a lot. And I had years and years and years of nursing babies and and, uh, Wagayu, you know, came home as a small baby and bottle feeding. And 
So I had years of broken sleep. You know, if it if you have to be creative, you know, put an extra bed in your room if you need to for a child who's going to end up there anyhow and is going to squish you in your bed. You know, do what you have to do to get sleep because sleep really is so restorative to our brains and our bodies. Another really important part of the optimal mind platter is playtime. We did a whole episode on play. We'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, it does not feel like a strong point for either Lisa or <laughs> me, but we do need to be spontaneous and creative. And um, someone just told me that there's an entire association for applied and therapeutic laughter, that it's so beneficial to brain healing. And we've talked about playful engagement before. And um, I just think we're underestimating playtime. We pawn it off as like, we're grumpy. We don't play anymore. Like it's okay. And I think we have to kind of, you know, gently raise the bar on ourselves because the benefits are so, so great. So we would never ask you to step this far outside your comfort zone without a really good reason, but the science is there. Right. And, and, you know, play doesn't have to mean board games or even playing catch. It's whatever I think feels playful to you that feels creative or spontaneous or, I mean, we were talking earlier that it can be really playful to have some quality time with your spouse. You know, we need to uh, let our brains rest and just be playful. There are lots and lots of ways to do that. Yeah, I love that. And someone told me recently that our brain doesn't know the difference between spontaneous laughter or contrived laughter. So you can actually like look at yourself in the mirror and like pretend to laugh. And then that sight will probably make you burst into spontaneous laughter anyway, but you could have laugh time at your house, even if it was contrived and it might still help you. And I dare you to do it and not start laughing anyway. We had a therapist once tell us that a great thing to do with our sort of tween type kids was to watch funny YouTube videos together because laughing together is actually very connecting. And what my kids thought of as funny was not necessarily what I thought was so funny, but he was right. It was really good advice. Another thing, I have a very strong memory of when we were probably in one of our darkest, darkest times. And our young college kids had some friends over and they were watching a movie. And Russ and I sat down to watch with them and it was a silly movie. But we laughed, and I remember talking to each other later and saying that's the first time we could remember in a long time. Like, we still talk about this, the time we watched this movie, and laughed because we hadn't laughed in so long. So laughter is important. Playtime is important, and it's good for our brains and for our relationships. Let's see. Another one of our seven essentials is time in. So time in is when we quietly reflect Internally, we sometimes call it mindfulness, where we focus on sensations, images, feelings, thoughts that we need to just integrate in our brains. I know, Melissa, you practice mindfulness. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? I think I've talked a little bit about it here before. It was very overwhelming to me for a long time until I realized that there were mindful breathing apps. And I'll link to my two favorite ones in the show notes, but it's literally like a bubble on my phone that like you follow it. So as the bubbles kind of growing, you're inhaling, and then there's even a hold pattern and then you're exhaling. And I can't do it for more than two or three minutes. I'll be honest with you, but 
I can fit that in. And sometimes I try to do it a couple times a day. I set a reminder on my phone. It seems silly, but oh my gosh, it actually makes a huge difference. Like mindfulness gives you a whole extra second of reaction time, which is huge. I mean, we can convince ourselves out of a lot of dumb parenting decisions and threats and punishments in a second. So uh, I would just recommend trying it. You have, I mean, you have literally nothing to lose and everything to gain. That's great. And I, you know, I think for people of faith, a time in could be prayer, could be meditating on scripture. For me, I need that quiet. And so I wake up before my kids and I have a whole morning routine of making coffee and then sitting down with my Bible. And and I have a way that I pray through the needs of my family. And so in some ways it's not, um, it's focused but it's also very calming for me. So I think you have to find what works for you. And you can always combine that a little bit with like exercise for yoga, you know, some deep breathing and different things. There are a lot of ways to have that time in. So finding out what works for you is is important. I think a gratitude journal is also probably fits in this category and is really powerful. I mean, you're one thankful mom, right? For a reason, because mm-hmm. that was a really powerful exercise I mean, maybe you still do it, but you know, that was kind of more public on your blog for a long time. And, and sometimes that's, you know, grasping, we're grasping at straws, right? And so we just have to be thankful for every little thing, the little details, not the big things, but just the little tiny things day to day. Yeah, that's a really good point. So I think we've covered six of our seven. Am I right? Yeah, we have one more. It's downtime. And we read through this one and we really had to think about it because I don't think this comes naturally to any busy mom, but um, it's non-focused without any specific goal when we let our mind wander or simply relax. And it's imperative for helping our brain recharge. The only time I can think of this happening with my brain is when I'm pairing it with something else. So like a walk. I think my brain does this sometimes when I'm walking. And then the shower, I think is the other time when I'm, I maybe hit this brain state. You know, uh, also for me walking the shower also, but another thing, somebody told me once that they found cutting vegetables to be kind of contemplative. And I have always hated making salads. I've always, it just feels so tedious and there's so many little steps. And I decided to try thinking of cutting vegetables as being kind of downtime. And so it, it has really helped me. So when I'm cooking, if it's, you know, if I'm not dealing with lots of kids at the same time, but let's just say I'm in the kitchen cooking, I try to, to uh, calm my brain and even let my brain wander as I'm chopping or whatever I'm doing. And it feels really, really nice. It feels, it's changed my attitude about making salads. You know, I just enjoy the process of slicing things and dicing things and um, let my brain relax while I do it. It's repetitive and rhythmic, Lisa. (gasps) Yes, it is. That's so great. That is going back to Robin Goebel again about... um, And it uses your body. Yeah. And, you know, I will say if you find chopping vegetables or stirring soups or whatever to be Downtime for you, invest in a good knife. I got good knives a couple of years ago, and that has made cooking just a lot more pleasurable. Anyhow, yes. And I, and I do have a beautiful view out my back window, so I will just get all the vegetables out in a big cutting board 
and just stand there and chop away. And I enjoy it. You know, we have what's called an internal locus of control where we can kind of decide the spin we're going to put on different things. Yeah. And, you know, all of a sudden when chopping becomes com- um, contemplative and relaxing, you know, someone challenged you to change the way you viewed that. And so all of a sudden it's changed something that you do every single day. I mean, that's really huge. Um, I think my thing's laundry. I like to listen to fun music or even maybe a podcast I'm trying to catch up on. And now that's one of the only times when I'm not driving that I listen to something and I really enjoy that. And so now because I've matched something that I really enjoy with something that I don't love, which is folding laundry, it's changed laundry folding time. I kind of look forward to it now because it means I get to catch up on a podcast or Marco Polo videos or something. So I think we do, um, you know, the catch 22 here is when we finally start being able to insert some of these mind platter activities into our, into our life, then our brain starts to become more flexible and we can start to reframe some things that maybe we had a bad attitude about, Um, or behaviors that we just couldn't see past. And now we can have a little bit more compassion or creativity or whatever. Right. We can handle more complex thought when our brains are functioning at at a higher level. You know, we can consider things in a broader way and um, get out of that rigid black and white thinking that those negative cycles that we get into, we can break out of that and have more radical compassion for ourselves and for our children. And I think that makes a very, very big difference in, first of all, our hopefulness about our lives, but in our ability to connect and parent in the way that we want to. Yeah. And my favorite part about all of these things is they're in the part of our lives we can control for the most part. None of these things requires our kids to cooperate necessarily. We might have to be a little creative with some of them, but we're not asking them to do things, right? We're asking ourselves to take control of something that we actually have control over and that will have a phenomenal return on investment. Absolutely. Well, we will have a link to uh, Dr. Siegel's website and his Mind Platter Um, You can see an awesome graphic that he has. We'll have a link to that in our show notes. Yeah, and I'll also link to any other podcast episodes that we kind of alluded to, um, to a couple books, um, both from Dan Siegel and another book called The Stress-Proof Brain. If if reading falls into either focus time or time, I don't know, play time, you know, whatever that is for you. so we'll have all that at the show notes. Um, one more time, the seven mind platter activities are focus time, play time, connecting time, physical time, time in, downtime, and sleep time. And again, you can find all of that at the show notes. We'll have that at theadoptionconnection.com slash 31. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram as The Adoption Connection. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a quick review over on iTunes. It will help us reach more moms who may be feeling alone. And remember, until next week, you're a good mom doing good work and we're here for you. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.